0: Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled The Ethiopian Eunuch. It was based on Acts 8, 26-38. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, when our children were young, we used to play a lot of games together, and we used to assemble a lot of puzzles. It began when our children were young, and they were probably like eight-piece puzzles back then. And then we kind of graduated 50-piece and 100-piece, 500-pieces. We even did a 1,000-piece puzzle. You know, it took the whole table. And it was always so exciting to do this together as a family, to be working together, talking together. Uh, The puzzles also had a lot of kind of educational things on them. So it might have uh, the alphabet or a world map or weather patterns or animals of the world. So we were also, you know, learning along the way. But inevitably... Probably happened three or four times. When we came to finish, there would be one or a few pieces missing. I know that's never happened at your house. You've never had a missing piece, but we would sometimes. And sometimes we would find it like under the couch, sometimes in the dog's bed and he'd shoot it a little bit, but, but we were usually able to find it. And, you know, when there's a missing piece, we could either just say, hey, kids, don't worry about it. Just focus on the complete part and pretend that's not there. But it was so exciting when we would find the missing piece or pieces and it would like complete the puzzle. You know, some of us have felt in different seasons of our lives or maybe today it's like there's something missing. It's like there's a missing piece of the puzzle. And we can either pretend it's not there and just focus on other things but but we still know it's there. For some of us that might be that we're just so yearning to be loved. And to love other people. For some people, it might be loneliness. Where we just feel like, oh, there's a lot of things going well in my life. But there's just this missing piece. I just feel so lonely. For some of us, it might be our identity. Where it's like this missing piece of the puzzle. So we posture ourselves, don't we? You know, at work or with our family or in a social setting or with our neighbors. We posture ourselves, maybe not really knowing who we are, but we become whatever those communities want us to be in order to feel like we fit in, in order to feel like we're valued. Maybe some of us, the missing piece of the puzzle is the pain of injustice that we've experienced. And for some people, we've achieved, but we've realized it it didn't really fill that missing piece. It gave a short-term fix. But those achievements, those accomplishments, didn't really fill our deepest needs, and they've left us vulnerable. Today we're going to meet a person who who was one of the most privileged people of his empire, yet he's still seeking, he's still searching. There's something missing in his life. And yet he's also a person who'd experienced traumatic pain. And in the midst of that trauma, that pain, and that suffering, there's something missing, a missing sense of dignity and hope in his life. Will you join me in Acts chapter 8? Uh, In the house here, that's on page uh, 1088. For those who are online, queue up your device or turn in your Bible to Acts chapter eight, where one church in the house and and, uh, scattered many different places online. Acts eight, let's join together in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, the context is that A persecution has broken out in Jerusalem. If you look up to verse 1 of chapter 8, you'll see that that there was a tremendous persecution there. Stephen had been killed. A few others beginning to be killed. There's a persecution. Everyone except for the apostles scatters, meaning the church, the Christ followers, they're getting out of town. Imagine what Philip is feeling and experiencing right now. Some of his friends have been killed. People are afraid for their lives. And so in verse five, we read that that, that he flees. And first he goes north to Samaria, goes from Jerusalem down the valley and north into Samaria. Here's what's interesting, footnote. Look up at Acts chapter eight, verse four. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now the word preached, I don't think it's the best translation. I think it's the word Russo. It probably should be they shared, they expressed, they taught, they discussed. But by putting preached, it makes it sound like a churchy word, like, oh, only the preachers went and, and they preached. But remember, the apostles are still in Jerusalem. These are the everyday people. And when they're fleeing in the midst of adversity, what are they doing? They're sharing their faith. They're giving hope and love and strength and justice to people wherever they go adversity should be the church's finest hour how do we address adversity do we complain you know the other church oh the government's persecuting us the religious leaders and this and we're... but what they did is in adversity they were the church and they shared the love and the grace and the hope and the justice of jesus wherever they were scattered isn't that beautiful I pray that in adversity, the church, and you and I, we would arise and it'd be the finest hour of the church, loving and caring for and sharing with our neighbors in the midst of adversity. But Philip now has a change of direction. He's fleeing to the north, but now God, through an angel, turns him down to the south. Now imagine what Philip's thinking. Wait wait, wait a minute. Hey, angel, maybe you aren't up on the news, okay? I'm fleeing north and... And the dangers in the south. You want me to go back south? You want me to go back and skirt the road around Jerusalem? Do you know how dangerous that is? You want me to take the desert road? You know, the desert road is a dangerous place for people who are fleeing persecution. And yet, in the midst of this risk, Philip trusts God and he honors God. You know, sometimes discipleship is costly. Sometimes to live out the way that God calls us might feel like there's a risk of breaking barriers or reaching across barriers to people or advocating for justice or serving our neighbors or living out the truth that God calls us to sometimes can be costly. Sometimes there can be risk, costly discipleship. Well, in verse 27, on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, because he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, a few things we learn, a few clues the author gives us about who this Ethiopian eunuch is. First of all, we read he's in charge of the treasury. He is the CFO of one of the most powerful empires of his generation outside of Rome. Uh, by the way, did you see the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians? That really uh, is better translated, and, and, and newer Bible translations have this, Kandike. Kandike was the dynasty. This isn't just a queen. We don't know if Candace was her name. A real translation, uh, a better translation would say, he came and was the CFO, the chief financial officer, of the queen of the Kandike Empire. This empire at that time went from um, Khartoum in the south all the way to Aswan in Egypt, huge empire. This is a guy of tremendous power, of tremendous prestige, of great privilege. And now we read next, he's sitting in a chariot. That's a status symbol, okay? If we were the 99% in, in the ancient world, we walked. If we had a donkey, we're starting to be upwardly mobile. If we rode a horse, we're probably a military officer. And if we had a chariot, we're either a military commander or a government official. It's like a limousine in the ancient world. That's who this guy is. But in the midst of all this, he's still searching. He's traveled about 900 miles from the Kandakei Empire all the way to Jerusalem to worship, to spiritually seek. There's something missing in his life. And here's a challenge for us. If we find our identity in our career or education or our publications or because we're in a certain social circle or, or we have the perfect-looking family, that will leave us vulnerable to losing those things. And those things, although they may be gifts of God and good pursuits, as soon as they become our identity then those things begin to own us, they, they become idols, they shape us, and they can never meet our deepest needs and they leave us vulnerable to losing those things. But when our identity is in Christ, then we can still enjoy those good gifts of God. We can steward those things. But our identity, God's love for each of us is his children. The grace, the forgiveness of Christ on the cross, the calling to be God's hands and feet and voice in a wounded world, those things the world can never take away from us. Whether we have the job of our dreams or not, whether we advance in our education or we flunk out, whether we have that person in our life or they break up with us. Our identity in Christ never changes. Well, in verse 30, we read that then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come sit with him. Imagine this scene. Here's this basically limousine. And this limousine is either pulled off the side of the road or it's traveling slowly. And here's Philip who's running up alongside. And he runs up and says, Hey, excuse me. Do you understand what you're reading? Is that a weird scene? That's what's happening. But it's magnified even more by this. These are about as different of people as we could ever imagine. Because remember, Philip is Jewish. And the Ethiopian eunuch, we don't know for sure, but he's probably a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles didn't gather together and have conversations very often. That was a barrier of the ancient world. Culturally, Philip, he has a Greek name. So he's a Hellenistic Jew, meaning he's a Greek Jew. And the Greeks normally thought of themselves as the cultural elites of the Roman Empire. Uh, The eunuch is African. And in the view of the Roman Empire, if you were outside the Roman Empire, you were barbarians. Any of the 360 degrees, you're outside the empire. Matter of fact, our word barbarian comes from the Romans saying, oh, listen to those people, they speak bar, 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 bar. And it's barbarian. They would have viewed this guy as this guy from outside the Roman Empire. And yet Philip comes from the culturally elite. Oh, but then socioeconomically, it's completely reversed. Philip is marginalized because he's being persecuted. He's running for his life. But the Ethiopian is a government official. You you couldn't have two more diverse people. And here is God breaking barriers with the gospel to bring people together who the barriers of this world divide. That's the gospel. The gospel of Christ brings us, bridges our divide with God to what Christ has done on the cross to take our sins and our filth and our shame and heap it on the cross and, and reconcile us with God. And the gospel calls us to live that out in our relationships to break barriers, whether they're ethnic, gender, socioeconomic, national, whatever the barriers, to break through those barriers to reveal that God is the God who loves all peoples and is calling all peoples home to himself. And so the conversation then uh, continues because we see in verse 32 that the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shear is silent, he didn't open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can even speak of his descendants? This is from Isaiah 53. It's it's often titled The Song of the Suffering Servant. And it's a song that points to Jesus and Jesus' suffering that would come six centuries later. Notice the key words. Humiliation, deprived of justice, he'd have no descendants. That's Messiah, Jesus, the suffering, the sacrifice to bring you and me home to God. But it also relates to the eunuch. It's no accident this is what he's reading because let's remember that the eunuchs eunuchs in the ancient world I don't know of any other I worked hard to figure out kind of a more glossed way to say this but eunuchs were castrated in the ancient world because then they would be focused on their work and there would never be any palace intrigue and so this is a guy think about this he knows he knows Social humiliation. This is a guy who knows and has experienced injustice. This is a guy who will never have in this world descendants. And God connects him to Messiah through this. See, let's always remember that God's greatest connection with the world comes through the suffering of Jesus. There's two reasons for that, probably a lot more, but two that we'll highlight now. One is because we live where we often suffer or experience pain or we feel like there's something missing from our lives. And Jesus entered into God, came in the flesh and entered into human joy and sorrow, celebration, suffering, pain and loss with us. What other deity of human history? I'll answer the question, no other deity of human history, has ever become human not to plunder or not take advantage of women or not to curse, but to love and sacrifice and give. That's why I love Jesus. It's what caused me, an outsider, when I was in college, to be intrigued by this Jesus who was different than anyone or anything else in human history. It also means if we're followers of Jesus, we need to be ready to suffer and sacrifice to further the gospel and help people see who Jesus really is. Matter of fact, I think part of why the persecution came to Jerusalem, Now, this is thus thinketh Greg and not thus teacheth scripture. I want to be clear, but I do wonder if part of it is the church in Jerusalem at that point had no concept of the gospel going out to Gentiles, going out to the world. This was the Jewish Messiah and they were Insular and comfortable, and God said, Mm-mm. I'll do whatever it takes for you to break barriers and spread the gospel. See, sometimes adversity is what calls us to be at our best and be the people that God has called us to be. So, the conversation continues. Move down to verse 34, where, where the eunuch um, asks Philip, uh, Who's the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip had been running away. He would have been filled with grief. I'm sure he would have been struggling with anxiety. He would have had unanswered questions with God. I understand why all the sufferings happening. And yet he's faithful and God redeemed the adversity and God honored his faithfulness. And here he is in an encounter with a guy who is going to take the gospel home with him. To the empire of Kandike or what we, you know, consider Ethiopia plus today. You know, in the first generation, we think the gospel in its fullness went first to Africa, then to Asia, possibly India next through Thomas, and then to Europe. All within the first generation. That's the spread of the gospel. Here's something fascinating. I hope that the eunuch also read Isaiah 56 because this is what it says. Let no eunuch grieve for this is what the Lord says. I will give you a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you an everlasting inheritance that will endure forever. See, let's let's remember this before we wrap up. If there's no God... If there's no resurrection, then injustice is eternal. It means the unit got whacked, there will never be justice. The child who dies young, there will never be justice. The person who is abused and murdered, there will never be justice. But if we believe in God, and we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then there will be resurrection and there will be eternal justice from God. That's the ultimate source of justice. And because of that, On earth as it is in heaven, we work toward justice so people might see and have a taste of that eternal justice of God on earth. Let's wrap it up. We move down to verse 36. As they traveled along the road and came to some water, the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. The eunuch was baptized. He, he didn't wait a long time to go through all kind of... Man, he had given his life to Christ. He understood it. He'd been studying. He's ready. And in baptism, when a person is lowered into the water, that's a sign, that's a portrait of Christ's death for us and that our sins have been washed clean, not in the moment of baptism. Baptism is a portrait of what Christ has already done within Someone it's an outward sign of what god has done done with it and then when the person is raised from the water it's a sign of christ's resurrection and it's a portrait that we've been raised with a new identity and with new life in Christ. It's also a proclamation. It's when we go public with our faith. Did they you notice in verse 38 if it says he gave orders, orders to stop the church. He's not please alone. Visit our website, he, he's, he probably also has his driver. Podcast, Maybe he's got so you you know, get a notification his security when guards. He might have Again, other officials with him. Uh, we don't know Every who, but, but the fact that he gave orders, he's not alone. And so I just wonder the talk on the way home. He was stuck in the uh, water and he was a person of immense power but there was something missing and he's seeking he traveled 900 miles to worship at the temple in Jerusalem but he would not have allowed to go into the temple he would have stayed in the court of the. he would not have allowed to go in for two reasons a Gentile and the second thing is eunuchs were not allowed in because they were viewed at that time not by God but they were viewed as imperfect unclean and cursed by God. He went all that way and he wouldn't even have been allowed into the temple. But what he got was far more than just making some kind of offering in a temple. Because when he went home, look at verse 39. We read, when he went home to Africa, he went on his way rejoicing. That's the transformation that can come. In Christ. A new identity. A new sense of purpose in this life. And a new eternal inheritance that will never be taken away. Uh, we're going to celebrate three baptisms next and um, three, three people who are giving a public proclamation. This is what Jesus has done in my life.